that what it's going to look like as a vision for a church for the new year and things we need to be reminded of. And uh, this morning is the first in that series. So in the next two or three weeks, we're going to get right back into our study of of Acts, which will take us through most of the, the year of 2017, with a few breaks in between for, for different special occasions. Um, but this morning, if you've noticed in your bulletin, the title of uh, the message is A New Year's Revolution. All right, we're replacing that S in resolution with the V. It's a revolution. And uh, it's a different way to look at um, making commitments for the new year and what that should look like to us biblically. Now, um, first of all, I just wanted to, 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 again, welcome all of you because this is the crew who uh, either either you went to bed before midnight and so you got enough sleep. But those of you that are yawning, and I see a few of you just as I scanned, uh, maybe you're the ones who stayed up well past midnight but decided that you still wanted to be here this morning, so we thank you for that. Um, there's no special gifts or prizes on the way out. I just thought, it, you know, your gift is to be here, right, among in, in fellowship, so that's all good. But uh, I had every intention of staying up pretty late last night, um, and then, uh, you know, it came to, to be midnight, and um, our original plans had kind of changed, so... We were just sort of together. It was a little low-key, and, and, um, and you know, it came to midnight. We watched the ball drop like many of you did, and then uh, probably by 12.15, I was yawning and ready to, to go to sleep. How many of you kind of fit into that category? Yeah, some of you, right? And some of us, as we're getting older, we don't want to admit it. We say, oh, yeah, you know. I kind of had this grand, like, plan of, like, oh, after midnight, we're going to celebrate and then, like, watch a movie together. And uh, no, and so we all kind of went to sleep, but you know, in a way, I felt like uh, as I was driving here this morning, I was just kind of like, man, is that the way it's going to be now from now on? Like, do I get to that point where I can even make it to midnight? I don't know. You know, you do, right? You get to that point? It happens. All right. Well, I guess when I get to that point, I get there. Some of you, I guess, are there. That's all right. Anyway. But, you know, but we, we, we had a good time. And so hopefully you did too, just however you decided to, to celebrate the new year. Um, and of course, you know, a, a big thing that people talk about is what kind of resolutions are you going to make for the new year? And that simply just means commitments, right? Like what kind of thing are you hoping to be more disciplined in? Like what kind of commitment are you making to yourself? Normally that's the way it works, right? It's a resolution. It's a commitment you're making to yourself. And sometimes you even bring it before God and it's hopefully has some spiritual applications to it as well. But as we, as we look at Jesus this morning, in a different light, you know, I like, to, I like to look at things from a different perspective often to just make sure that we're, we're grasping the whole bigger picture of God and His story, that we're going to see Jesus actually brings about a revolution in the world and in our hearts. And so I think a, a more apt word for this morning is not resolution, but revolution. And so perhaps as you're looking forward to 2017 and you're trying to see those things that you'd like to do, those new things that you want to implement in your life, that you might look at it more as a revolution in your life as opposed to just a resolution, like a bigger commitment. Because I think the big difference there, especially when we're talking about Christ leading us, is just that. That a revolution is not something that we start but it's God-initiated. That's been a big theme through the book of Acts, and it's a great theme to, to talk about again at the beginning of a new year. January 1st, here we are together in church 
looking forward to a brand new year, perhaps we pray, we leave it before God, we will all see a revolution, a revolutions happen in our lives, in our families, and in our church. You know, uh, one of the things that um, we are often kind of talking about around the dinner table or families at New Year's is is uh, Christmas presents, right? It was just a week ago, and so it's all kind of happened so quickly and about the new things that we got. And uh, maybe there's some new things that you got for Christmas that are really going to help you for this year. You got that new uh, piece of exercise equipment, uh, those new sneakers so you could go running. I'm na- naming things that I got, right? These are all things that, you know, we're talking about. And so you're looking forward to a brand new year, you know, and it, you just, you're praying that God with this new piece of exercise equipment don't let it turn into just a hanger for my clothes again, right? But that you would really use it. And so, um, but I really think that in order for these things to truly um, take hold in our lives, uh, whether you want to call it a habit or you want to call it a new lifestyle, change, whatever, it's got to happen from the inside out. And we, our first step really has to be a step of surrender to the Lord and recognize that He is the God of new things, Right? So as we look at all these new presents that we got and we talk about new plans for the new year, hey, we're going to do new things. Maybe in, it, maybe in your sights it's a new house, maybe a new car, maybe you need a new car coming up, new clothes, maybe a new look for you this year, you know, um, uh, maybe a new haircut, a new mindset, new set of goals, whatever it is, right? Um, the new year can be an opportunity for new beginnings. And really, a revolution is like that too. It's a, it's a new beginning. It's replacing something in general that was old and not working with something that is new and is working. We're going to see that kind of unfold a little bit, especially in the, the one verse of Scripture that I want us to look at. But an opportunity for a new beginning today, for a new year, putting our past in the past, moving forward. And as we look forward to a new year, it really should be all about promise. Because God is a God of promises, isn't He? And He's a God of hope, of new hope and new beginnings. As you think about the story of God that unfolds in Scripture, from beginning to end, you can find that word new written quite often in Scriptures. And we can see how God is the God of new things. In the beginning... God created, and all things were new. As the world fell into sin, God brought the flood as a judgment, but there was a new start with Noah and his family. The rainbow was given as a sign of promise of His mercy, and we see that His mercies are new every morning. As people continued in sin and would not and could not keep the old covenant, that God had made with them, God promised and delivered a Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, who brought with Him a new covenant. As Jesus, the Redeemer, came to usher a new kingdom, which He talked all about, He also gave a new command to His followers to love one another. He promised that those who trusted in Him would be made new. New creations. The old being gone. The new having arrived. 
Jesus also promised that He would return for us to establish His new kingdom on earth for a thousand years, keeping all of His promises to His people. And we see as the story concludes in Revelation that at the end of all things, our Redeemer King said, Behold, I am making all things new. That there was a new heaven and a new earth. That is what we have to look forward to. So from beginning to end, in God's story, we are reminded that God is a God of new things. When we talk about Jesus bringing a revolution of the new, what kind of revolution did Jesus really usher in? We don't often think of the Lord Jesus as a revolutionary, do you? But He actually was a radical revolutionary. Bringing with Him a the promise of a new kingdom. He said, repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And He brought this idea of new commands, a new covenant, and a new hope. The one verse that I just want us to look at this morning is Isaiah 43.19. And you look at this, and this is a promise that God is giving to His people when they're in captivity. And He is promising to deliver them once again, because we know He is a God of new mercies, right? We learn that so much from the people of Israel when they fail and repent and become humble before God. God is merciful. And we know that is the same for us. Isn't that true? We can come before God and ask forgiveness, ask for mercy, and His mercies are new every day, all the time. Isaiah 43.19 is this beautiful promise of God. And He says this to His people when He's about to redeem them out of bondage, much like He did for us by sending us the Lord Jesus. He says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You can write that down. You can turn to Isaiah 43. It's a great chapter to read. We were reading that earlier during our prayer time. But what great promise it is, and great words of hope, that what God is saying to His people, and these are words for us this morning too, as we begin a new year together. He is saying, Behold, I am doing a new thing. What's awesome about that first phrase is that what God is really saying is like, I have rescued you before, but I'm going to rescue you from bondage again in a brand new way. I'm going to blow your socks off, he's saying. You're going to be so amazed at how I'm going to do it. So not only am I going to rescue you again, he says, I'm going to do it in a new way. It's going to spring forth. He says, can't you see it coming? Can't you anticipate that happening, the excitement? And look at what he says he's going to do. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What a great verse to memorize. That he says, Behold, I am making all things, I'm doing a new thing. It springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers or streams in the desert. 
Is that a desire of your heart for this new year? That God would make a new way for you? That He would enable you to follow that path? That on a daily basis, that you would have the strength, the courage, the humility to surrender your plans to Him? Your plans for a new year? Whatever it is. And allow Him to lead you and guide you because He says, don't you see what I can do? And I'll do it in a brand new way. He says, I'll make a way where there is no way. A way in the wilderness. And I'll take the desert and I'll make streams of water, living water. Do you believe that God can do that for you this year? Whatever that looks like in your life. Things that maybe you're struggling with. Relationships. A particular sin that has got a stronghold on you. That we can claim this promise for our own that God is ready and as we sang, He is able to do a new thing. And He wants to. He wants to bless His children. He wants to bless us, His church. And He says, I'll make a way in the wilderness where it seems like all is lost, where you can lose your way in the wilderness, that God says, I'll make a way even when you think it's impossible. God is saying, I will make a way. So this year, as you live each day that God gives you, remember this verse. Remember that as things might seem hopeless, or things might seem like they can't turn around or get any better, or maybe you start the new year just like you ended last year. God, I, I, I want just bring newness, please. Do a new thing in my life. God says, if you stand out of the way and give your plans over to me, I'll make a way in your wilderness. I'll bring a river flowing with living water in the desert of your heart. You know, Jesus actually brings a revolution, not political. We know it's spiritual, but Jesus' revolution is a revolution of love. And that was so unheard of. It was so new that so many people, most people, couldn't even grasp what he was talking about. They couldn't quite understand when he said things like, my kingdom is not of this world. We remember what his followers, right? And what so many people were looking for. They knew that he was the Messiah. Those that recognized him, they said, okay, he's going to overthrow the Roman occupation. He's going to sit on his throne here and now, right? And, he, and we're going to take this we're going to take this, uh, this land back by force. Because here is our king bringing the new kingdom. And Jesus said no. His revolution was actually more radical than that. Because he brought about a revolution of love. So Jesus really can be described as a radical revolutionary. Now, you know what that word radical means? It's pretty interesting when you apply it to this. Because the word radical comes from the the root word in Latin, I believe, radix, R-A-D-I-X. You know what that means? It simply means to cut at the root. Now we know in gardening, right, when you're pulling weeds, you don't want to just kind of cut the weeds in half, right? What do you want to do to make sure they don't come back? You've got to pull them out at the root. If you're getting rid of something, you don't want it to come back, you have to cut it at the source. All right? Cut it at the root. That's what the word radical means. 
Jesus brought about a radical revolution of love because He came to replace the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light. 1 John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to overcome the power of sin to get at the heart of the issue. And that's what He does with each of us. When He calls us to His own, He is cutting right to the root of our sin nature. And He says, let me replace it. Let me replace it. And so Jesus says that if we're in Christ, we are a new creation. The Word says we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Paul tells us. And so we know that in Christ we are made new. Because we have been brought from light to darkness. From death to life. There was a way made in the wilderness and a river in the desert where it seemed there was none. And that came through the person of Jesus and the radical revolution of love that He brought. Because only Jesus can bring about true transformation in our lives. I hope you believe that. It's only through Christ that, that we can have true transformation in our lives from the inside out. Because doesn't Jesus always get to the heart issue? And He cuts right to the root. And that because He is a radical revolutionary. So talking about true transformation and revolution, did you know that 2017 is the 500th anniversary of the Great Reformation in the history of the church? With Martin Luther's 95 Thesis, and when he, as a, um, as a, as a monk in the Catholic Church, right, as a leader and a teacher, all he wanted to do was truly reform the Catholic Church to bring it back to what it should be, looking at the Scriptures and looking at Christ alone and faith alone. It's called the great five solas of the Christian faith of the Reformation. Did you ever hear about that? The five solas of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura, meaning it's Scripture only, not the man-made traditions. It's sola fide, it is by faith alone. Sola Christus, by Christ alone. Sola gratia, by grace alone. And soli dea gloria, for the glory of God alone. It is what Martin, Martin Luther was trying to do, not to create a whole new division, but to reform. Amazing. We kind of think back. It was 500 years ago this year, 2017, that that all changed. But then if you go back some 2000, another 1,500 years, you go back 2,000 years from now, it was the greatest event in human history. A revolution that started with the birth of Jesus Christ where it even divided human history into two parts. Before Christ and after Christ. Isn't that amazing? That is the effect that Jesus Christ had in our world. So Jesus came with this revolutionary new teaching and new kingdom. It was a revolution of love. Think about the radical things that Jesus said that were so brand new and so radical to the people of the day. He said things like, be anxious for nothing. Can he say that? You know, back then, maybe it's estimated 80 to 90% of the people that were living during Jesus' time were living in what we would probably call poverty. Poor living. 
So for him to say, be anxious about nothing and don't worry where you're going to get your next food or where you're going to get the clothes to wear, that was radical. Because all they were doing was probably worrying and being anxious about, about that. Isaiah 26 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. See, Jesus brought a radical revolution of peace. He said, be anxious for nothing. He says in Mark 10, sell all your things and give to the poor. I mean, that's still radical today, isn't it? But it cuts right to the heart. That's what that word radical means. I mean, Jesus knew that the rich young man had a problem with holding on to his possessions. That it would be a hindrance. Jesus simply wanted us to come to him with a spirit of humility. Put everything else aside and just follow Him. How radical is that? He said we should become servants. Now that's not, that goes against our human nature to serve, right? Isn't it all about being better than the others and being a step ahead? But being an intentional servant is actually a position of spiritual strength. A servant is someone who certainly understands their role in life and you can find comfort in serving others. So Jesus says, become a servant. That is a revolutionary teaching. He says in Mark 8, deny yourself and follow me. You know, when he says, pick up your cross and follow me, people looked at the cross very differently than we might today. It was, an, it was abhorrent to them. It was a means, an instrument of horrible torture. So when Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me, how is that motivating people to follow him? But yet, what he was looking for was for a deeper commitment. He was going so much deeper than just actually following him. He had thousands and thousands of people that were following after him. And he knew the vast majority would not follow him all the way to the cross. That kind of commitment involves choosing to substitute our own needs and desires and plans to put them all aside and follow His call which goes way beyond ourselves. Jesus also says in Matthew 7 that not everyone enters the kingdom. That was radical. I mean, Jesus was angry. Jesus was angry because people were using His name for their own glory. It was hypocritical. And Jesus says, it's not just enough. Now listen, He says, it's not just enough to claim My name. But you need to live as I live. And follow Me where I go. That's radical. And I think that gets to our heart. And it should. And it should maybe more often than it does. That what He's saying is that It's not enough to just claim to be a Christian. To just say, I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Christian. I go to church and all that comes with it. But are you truly a follower of Christ? Meaning that you're following in His footsteps, living as He lived, all the way to the cross, to pick up your cross and follow Him. And finally, another one, He says, love your enemies. That was also radical. Perhaps one of the most radical teachings of Jesus that we would love our enemies. That certainly calls for a position 
of humility. And here's why that applies to us. Because the Word of God tells us that we were once enemies of the cross and enemies of God. Listen to these verses. Colossians 1, it says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your own minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. Romans 5, God demonstrates His own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, a lot of us know this, Christ died for us, right? For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. How is that for radical? That when we give up our life, we actually gain it, right? And so it's been said this way, that perhaps the scandal of the Gospel was that everyone thought that the Messiah was going to establish God's kingdom by destroying God's enemies. But what does Jesus do? Jesus was bringing God's kingdom by showing love for His enemies. You ever think about that? That's how they thought Jesus was going to overthrow the kingdom and bring in His new kingdom He was talking about. He had to defeat the enemies. We know that Jesus defeated the ultimate enemy. But what does God teach us to do? To love our enemies. So Jesus was truly a radical revolutionary. It's also been pointed out, which is pretty interesting, how much you know um, we want to apply it to talking about Jesus as a revolutionary. But you know where Jesus spent a lot of time in Galilee, right? Well, if you know anything about the geography of Israel and about Galilee, right? Most of Galilee is hilly and rocky terrain. There's, there's some plains there. It actually gets a lot of rainfall. It's supposedly very beautiful there in Galilee. But there's a lot of rocky hills and places that people can hide in caves and things of that nature. And in Jesus' day, Galilee was known as a place where dissidents and revolutionaries would hide out as they would plan to overthrow whoever it was a king, a leader. And so is it interesting, it says that Jesus goes up into the hills of Galilee and He prays and He comes down to the, it says to a flat place in one of His messages, the Sermon on the Plain. And, but then He takes His disciples and goes up even higher into the hills of Galilee with just a few disciples. What would people have been thinking? Oh, Jesus is starting a revolution. He's getting ready to then attack Jerusalem and take over the city. Well, He was in an essence. But in a way, we see Jesus was bringing about a revolution. So Jesus' revolution was truly based on love. But it was truly radical in its, in its, in its essence. Because the decision to follow Christ uh, is itself a call to radical living. It's not like we just say we're Christians and then we choose to be radical or not. Like, should I be... a like a true committed Christian, a follower of Christ or not. That call from Jesus, He doesn't give us that option. Remember with all His followers, those thousands following Him, He says, how how are you going to follow Me? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Me. He laid it down all at the line right there. That, That command was at extreme odds with what our fleshly desire is. Right? 
It's been said it challenges our worldly wisdom. The cross is of itself a radical thing. And declare Jesus as Lord of our lives, it involves dethroning ourselves and completely abandoning ourselves to His will. When Jesus taught in um, the Beatitudes, the beginning of His great sermon, that whole section there in the beginning of Matthew 5 is a call to radical living. You should read through that again, maybe this sometime this year. The Beatitudes, the beginning of Jesus' sermon. That it's really about radical ways. Turning the other cheek. Loving your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Radical teachings. Right? A radical Christian is someone who dies to the flesh. It says that in Romans 8. It says in Acts 17, a chapter that we're going to get to this year, that the apostles were, in a sense, radical because they turned the world upside down in all that they were teaching because they were simply teaching what Christ sent them to teach. But they did so through self-sacrifice and by love. Our world has certainly had its share of revolutions. And uh, we've seen a lot of political revolutions. We've seen social revolutions. Jesus actually brought about social revolution. That wasn't his intent. It wasn't his, I shouldn't say it wasn't his intent. That wasn't his main purpose. But just look at how he treated the poor. How he treated women and children. That was radical. There was social change that was coming, but he said that his kingdom was not of this world. And it was a radical message because it cut to the heart of everything. Once and for all, God had sent a means to be reconciled back to Him. It was only through this radical revolutionary, His Son Jesus, that ushered in a brand new kingdom. So what does that mean for us? Where does that leave us? In all that that can do to to inspire us, it should also encourage us. Because we know that God is a promise keeper. And so if we believe that there's promise for this new year and all, in all that we are setting out to do. We have to make sure, first and foremost, that we're submitting it to God, that we're on track with what God is already doing. And that we are following after Him. But that we know that we can follow in His footsteps as revolutionaries. Because does He not call us His church, whom it says He died for, and of whom He is the head, that we are the plan for God's hope of the world. That God is choosing to use us, His church, whom He empowers with the Holy Spirit. Am I right? How much have we seen that in our study of Acts? That He empowers us to be the revolutionaries. When He says, be salt and light, He's saying, take my radical message of a new commandment to love one another. This new covenant in my blood to replace the old covenant That I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. Take that message of promise and of hope to a world that is without hope and that is still wallowing in darkness. So we are called to be revolutionaries. You know what a revolution really is in an essence? Like if you think of a political revolution, it is the overthrow or the replacement of something of a system 
that wasn't working, that's not working, and replacing it with something more perfect, something that is better. When Jesus came and ministered, who did he spend most of his time talking to? Besides the disciples, who was he, who was he condemning? Who was he debating and arguing with? It was the religious leaders, those who were leading his people astray, who were misrepresenting the truth of the kingdom that God had set before his people. And he said, no. He said, this is not my father's kingdom. My father's kingdom is about love and peace and joy. So we know when Jesus came, it was 2,000 years ago, he came as Redeemer, right? As the suffering servant. But how will he return? As judge and as king. He will come to set up his throne on earth as he had promised. And there will be judgment, but for us, our people, there is only joy and hope. And looking forward to that time when he comes back to take up his church, like it tells us in 1 Thessalonians. And then when he returns to the earth to set up his kingdom, what joy that will be. Because our Christ will rule and reign on this new earth. And then as I started and said earlier, it says in Revelation, at the end of all things, we see Jesus, Lord and King, saying, Behold, I make all things new. Does that give you hope? As we move to the what we call the communion table, and as we um, prepare to end our time together by taking of the Lord's Supper together.